you know, the guys got to the big leagues. Oh, they're just, they're just uh, more talented. You see guys that good down the minors? I shake my head and I'm like, dude, you don't get it. You, you don't. There are guys that are more talented that never get to the big leagues. Guys that can hit the ball the furthest that I've ever seen throw as hard as anybody else has some of the nastiest stuff as a pitcher that you will come across, but they didn't get to the big leagues because they couldn't put it all together. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ryan Ripken, former minor league first baseman who just wrapped up his playing career in the minor leagues, trading in his spikes to move into the media side of things. Ryan walks us through his career, which carries a lot of familiar themes on this show. Struggling with self-doubt during his freshman year of college, working through the mental side of the game, dealing with injuries, and just trying to prove yourself, but with different expectations than your typical ball player, as Ryan spent his career playing with the added expectation that comes with sharing the last name of his father, Hall of Famer Cal Rickman Jr. Ryan walks through the pros and cons of having a legend for a father, and how he grew into comfort with himself and his own game on the field during his time at South Carolina Junior College and in the minor leagues. Also, he gives the best scouting report of what to do during a day in Baltimore. I mean, just exactly what you want if you're going to Baltimore and, and want to eat. So uh, tune in for that. Uh, just really insightful conversation from Ryan. Very glad he took the time to come on the podcast and walk us through his story. If you enjoy uh, this episode, Ryan has his own podcast, Off Script with Rip. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Episodes of Phenom on the Farm drop every other Tuesday. Uh, if you enjoy it, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Those always help. And make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Uh, minor League Baseball season, MLB season, the Cape Cod Hot Sheet is going on that's a new thing uh so check that out and then we are this is uh right in the middle of the college world series so that should be you know we'll be wrapped by our next episode but tune in for for all of ba's college baseball covers a lot of good stuff as always over at baseballamerica.com and with that let's talk to ryan ripkin all right, joining in for today's episode from Phenom to the Farm, who's a 15th round pick of the Nationals in the 2014 draft out of Indian River College, former minor league first baseman Ryan Ripken. Ryan, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Of course. I'm, I'm glad we got it on the schedule, and uh, I know it took some time, but I appreciate your patience. Absolutely. No, I've been looking forward to this, and uh, you also you have a podcast of your own, so before we dive into your your career, tell the folks about it, where they can find it. So my own personal podcast is Off Script with Rip, and uh, that's on any podcast platform, but you can watch the videos. I video it each week on YouTube. Uh, it's just Ryan Ripkin. You can search my name. And I also do an Orioles-based podcast. Now I'm getting involved in the media world, so I do some TV and radio covering the team in Baltimore. And that podcast is called Just Rip and Rock, uh, also available on, on all the podcast platforms. So that's what I'm doing post-baseball, but you know what, Kyle? I definitely do miss being on the field, that's for sure. Oh, I'm sure, but I mean, exciting time to to be covering the Orioles, considering how young that team is, how exciting that team is. Um, but I, I want to dive into you, and the first thing I have to ask you is someone who, you know, a Maryland native, how many times in your life has someone said to you, like, quoted, like, crab cakes and football, that's what Maryland does? <laughs> uh, I mean, if, if we actually counted... Uh, I, I think we'd have to be in the millions, 
You know, it just, I'm sure I was about to say, if you had a dollar for every time, you wouldn't have to do a podcast. Oh, absolutely. I mean, hey, I, I, I for me, I've, I've said it thousands and thousands of times. I, I quote wedding crash, crashers religiously. Uh, and Maryland, pe- Maryland's so prideful, too. I mean, everyone loves their state. But I'll just be honest. There's something about people that are from Maryland. Uh, they really, really take pride of where they come from. Yeah, so I, I personally am very fond of Maryland. I grew up in, in Richmond, Virginia, mm-hmm. so we would we would go to like Orioles games and stuff because obviously Virginia is a barren wasteland for professional sports. So, um, but let, let's go back to you. So often I ask, you know, a guy, when did you realize you you know you had a path at the next level? I'll ask you as as being from you know a noted baseball family. When did you realize a path in baseball was was actually what you wanted? Because with with you, with your family, with your name, that comes with some some different kind of pressures. When did you decide like, you know, this is the the family business, but this is actually what I want to do because when you get to the levels you played at, that takes some want to. That's just not, you know, that 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 takes the effort and the actual passion. Yeah, I mean, so when it was when I was younger and and you always wanted to, em, you know, emulate whatever your parents did, right? You looked up to them. So at the time, my my dad's job was playing baseball and because that's what his job was, as a kid, I want to, I, I want to play baseball. That's where it started. But to your point, you got to love it and you got to have passion for it. And I, and I always did. And I tell people, no one, no one in my family ever forced me to play the game. No one ever told me to pick up a glove or, or a bat. I wanted to, and I loved it. And as I kept getting older, or as I got older, I realized uh, this was a sport that, you know, uh, through the good and the bad was a part of me. And you know, I'd probably say then when you, and I got into high school was realizing that, all right, I have potential and I can do certain things that could get me to that next level, but still time will tell. But I, I believe I could start doing it once I got into high school or we went down to some of these big showcases and you have success against guys that are, that are also some of the top players in the country. Um, that, that was a good, yeah, so I, to age wise, probably like, 14, 15. But again, getting there, I didn't know how I'd get there, but thinking, well, maybe something's there, but I still got to, you know, work my tail off. Yeah. You're also, you're not a, you're not a short person. No, uh, you're a fairly tall guy. You played basketball. One of, to me, one of the most interesting things that has been like told ever about your dad is his passion for pickup basketball. Was there ever, a, you know, did you think about taking a different sport into, you know, carving out something else in basketball because again if if I was 65 I would spend probably 90% of my days just in a hoop in my backyard trying to dunk. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, honestly in some cases I always think back of you know, if I just devoted all of my time to playing basketball because because that's a sport I think people might hate me saying this but that might be like my true passion just because and what I mean by that I love baseball like it is a part of my identity. But basketball, for me, I didn't have the expectation and I could go out there and just be truly who I was. And it's just so much fun to run up and down the court and compete. And you kind of have to move on to the next play just like that. Baseball, you get out, you got to sit there and you're thinking about that at bad. And it's a constant, you know, it's a game of failure, consistently a game of failure. Uh, But I remember I I went to a camp at Virginia when I was a saw after my sophomore year or during my sophomore year. And it was when Tony Bennett just started there. 
And so Virginia wasn't really on the up and up yet. They were, they were still trying to figure it out. But Tony goes, hey, I love your skill set. But two things got to happen. You know, you either got to quit playing baseball and just focus on basketball and see where that goes, or you got to grow to be six, seven, six, eight, and then you can play a different position because I was I was big, but I wasn't quick, you know, so I needed to kind of fill a role. Um, and obviously I couldn't put down the batting glove, but um, yeah, now that I'm done playing baseball, I am fully back into playing competitive basketball when I'm not, you know, running around through all the other media, you know, uh, jobs that I have right now. Yeah. You got to find some way to scratch the competitive itch. So something, something I was curious about, obviously, you know, you grow up with, uh, the hall of fame father, uncle, things like that. It seems like there'd be, you know, easy, quick resource for getting better at baseball for tips and things like that. But as you, as you get older, as you get into high school and even college and pro ball, how do you kind of compartmentalize the advice that you should take and how, cause is there such thing as too much good information? Like your father was a, a noted batting stance tinker. Um, when you're, you know, you have that at home, you, your high school coach is a big leaguer, things like that. How do you process? And, and this is kind of, could be a general question for anyone playing in college, anyone playing in pro ball, cause pro ball, you know, every level has, has their different instructors. How do you, you know, kind of streamline the advice you're getting from all angles and, and, and wrap that all into, this is who I am as a hitter and this is what I can apply. This is what I should apply. Yeah. I mean, looking back, you know, I, I definitely was exposed to the game more than, than people, you know, more than 99% of the population probably could even be in a higher, but it could be 99.99. Right. You know, it just, it was a, it was a unique uh, perspective that I had. However, I think when you're younger and you're trying to figure out what works for you, I think that's the biggest thing and being open to that and knowing that you're going to have to continue to make adjustments. And, and I'll be honest, I felt because of the success that some of these, uh, you know, my family members had, and mainly I, I didn't work as much with anything with my uncle as mainly my dad. And he has such great advice, but also there's things that worked for him that not necessarily worked for me. And also I did, I felt a little bit nervous then about, working with other coaches. And I felt like, well, I was so used to working with my dad. How do I work with, you know, Larry Sheets as my uh, high school coach, like you, who you're referencing as being a former big leaguer and then any other coach. And, and I think it's always in hindsight because if I could tell kids or players now, it doesn't mean when, when coaches want to work with you. And that's the one thing, one thing I don't like what coaches do is when they say, Hey, you got to do this. Like, this is what you have to, to change I, that there's no one way to hit. That's right. Even at the top level, you know, what worked for my dad isn't going to work for, you know, a lot of other kids. He had to feel what was going on. He could connect his brain to his, to his um, physical uh, skills or what he was, what he was feeling in that moment. So I think, I think I just tell kids, you got to learn to be open-minded. You got to learn to adapt. And the biggest thing is to learn how to be your best coach, because that's going to help you with anybody that you work with. Because if you have an idea of what you want to do, then everyone else can help bring some ideas to the table. But then the baseline and foundation is, is that you have an idea of who you are. And that's, that's a tough thing to ask of a kid at a young age. 
But the I, I, that's what I preach to people now. The more you can understand and are willing to adapt and learn, that's going to help you. But make sure you at all times are continuing to be your own best coach. And kind of a unique thing that you had to adapt to that not every kid does is obviously your your last name is very notable. It's not even like your dad was a pro player with the last name Smith. It was obviously who you were, especially growing up in the city that your dad you know had a Hall of Fame career in. When did you realize that it, it's the thing people look at a last name could open doors or help out or things like that, but... Something that I think is obvious is not just expectations, but you're going to get everyone's best. Like I think back my senior year in college, we faced Mark Grudzelonik's nephew. And there was even like, there was like the, Hey, there's a guy mm -hmm. in this dugout who has big league bloodlines or in the opposite team. Like, you know, got to get him out. You, that, that, that's an obvious thing. Like you are, you know, you would be circled in a lot of lineups. When did you realize that there was going to be some undue attention, both, you know, both positive coverage and also some extra scrutiny on what you did on the baseball field? It's really actually probably correlates to when I started to figure out I had a chance to, you know, that I, I could do some things, you know, as a player and have success. So in that 14 to 15 range, and then where it really all came together was after we won our high school championship my sophomore year. And I remember I didn't have really any cares in the world. You're just kind of enjoying high school. You're going out and play with friends and you had success. And then after that, after we won, there was expectations at our school to win. But then now I was talking to different schools. I had a good summer. And now, now all the comparisons of me to my dad. And that's where that became more challenging for me, you know, because I felt like after the longest time I was being judged regardless of what I did, it was never going to be good enough. And then people also would look at me as like, Oh, you've had a lot of things given to you in your life. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I haven't been fortunate enough to go to be able to go to a good private school growing up and to be able to, have a, you know, live a healthy life as a, as a child. You know, I, 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 a lot, I know a lot of people don't have that. And, but the other part was, is that people felt I was entitled. Uh, I didn't deserve it, didn't earn it only solely based off of the name itself and where I was and nothing that I did. So it was just a hard thing as a teenager to try to deal with not only the expectations of no matter who, you, when you're going up, you know, someone wants to uh, prove that you aren't as good as as uh, people say you are or that you don't deserve it. The other part of it, too, is just a teenager and you're trying to figure out yourself. And that was hard for me to deal with kids my age of like, why don't you like me and you don't know me? And then why why are parents getting on me? And and I've never had any type of interactions with you either. Now, that was a hard thing to deal with mentally. Um and, and as at that age, it, it took me, you know, until I got into pro ball to really kind of figure out how to handle that. And with that too, like growing in yourself, getting to that age, you also then have to figure out where you're going after high school, which is a difficult decision for kids, even if they're not planning on playing sports. How did you evaluate that college, you know, the college decision? You also got, you got drafted by the Orioles, but in figuring out where you wanted to go to school, what kind of program you 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 know wanted to slot into how did you how did you evaluate the recruiting process well honestly and that was the other part is i didn't really understand it a ton 
you know, and, and you think always if a big school talks to you, you get excited because you see some of these schools, if you watch on TV, you see, then if you go to the campuses and you see like, wow, these places are incredible, you know, and, you know, for me, that was like with South Carolina, it's like, well, I was blown away by everything that they were doing and the whole experience that it would bring back-to-back rings too. That's- yeah. And, and, and then they lost in the world series the year before I went in there, such so as they have all the success, but then you're not thinking about, you know, what's really the best for my own development. So I would just encourage people, you don't need to go, like if you go to the big schools and you can, and you're going to go and play, it's an amazing experience. And, but what I will say for other people, there's, there's a reason why so many players are drafted out of schools that you may or may not have heard of is because they get the chance to develop and go and figure out themselves. So looking back, you know, I probably would have gone to Wake Forest. That was one in my gut that still kind of bothers me to this day. And look how good Wake is now. But back then, Wake wasn't at that level yet. And but they gave a, a they gave players a lot of chances to develop. And that's really what you need to do is to develop. And as far as for the draft and, and all of that, trying to, you know, figure out where to go in college, it was, you know, do you want to start your your career? You know, we look at it as, as baseball as a sport, but it was really starting a job. And, you know, I go back and forth on that a lot of what if I had just gone into it right away. But mentally, I probably wasn't ready because the, the grind of minor league baseball or baseball in general it is way more strenuous. And especially if you don't have a grip on who you are as a person, uh, you're going to find yourself uh, in a tough spot, you know, more times than not. Mm-hmm. And piggybacking on that, looking for the the spot where you're going to get an opportunity to get to play. I, I registered my freshman year too, uh, like you did mm-hmm. in South Carolina. And yep. I will contend it is, it's a lonely and very strange feeling if you've been playing a game for years. And especially in high school now with how travel ball is and stuff, you're playing, you know, close to a hundred games a year, summer, fall, and then your spring season and, and going into that. When did you... At what point during that that tenure in South Carolina did you realize that this might not be the fit for me? I'm I'm tired of not playing. Honestly, you know, it was it was during after I knew I was I was going to redshirt and and sit out and having a conversation and there's an open conversation and, and at the time I was frustrated with so Chad Holbrook took over as the coach. Ray Tanner actually stepped down to be the AD, you know, weeks before I got on campus. And at the time I was frustrated with how the whole situation went about, you know, just because, you know, you, you, you don't know what's going on. You want to play, you feel embarrassed, you're young and, and you feel like you should be doing more. Right. But also as you get older, you understand that college athletics, especially at the big schools, you know, their livelihoods are on the line. And, and so as I got older, I I don't blame uh, Chad Holbrook at all for having the conversation of saying, Hey, this is how it is. And and he, and he made a point to me of, Hey, we want to develop guys, but you know, we, the, and I could tell first year, you got to live up to that because we, we have to win. And, and that, and not that he said anything poorly in that, in that situation, but I realized that go, okay, the development part is not something that's going to be at the forefront. 
And not that you, not that that's not what you want, but I, I can just, I could feel the pressure. I mean, shoot, you go into a situation like that where South Carolina is the, the most dominant program, but it's not just there. It's other big schools too, where the same thing happens when you don't, when you're, when, when people are trying to establish themselves. And um, so that was the moment right after that of going, you know what? I, I pre I've met a lot of great people. It was hard to, switch up and leave. And I didn't like that. I was running away from competition. Uh, Cause that's not how I feel, but it was more so of, I got to give myself a legit chance because I feel I will always wonder if I don't put myself in a, in a position that I think I could succeed, you know, would I have the, what if later in life? So that's why I made the choice then to, to go to Indian river state college, a junior college in Florida, you know, for my, sophomore year but really my redshirt freshman year and the same question i asked your south carolina and indian river teammate george iskandarian how do you wind up at at indian river college because the thing is like if you told me hey you can go to a school out of high school well i know where south carolina is i know where wake forest is like i the big schools it's obvious you know those are the ones that you actually apply to how do you wind up at a junior college in in, in florida Good, good old IRSC, right? Especially Fort Pierce, Florida. You probably have never heard of it if you're not from the region. And they actually have developed some good baseball players out of out of uh, Indian River. But I, I knew, or George and I had had conversations um, leading into that process. But for me, because George was still playing and, and didn't have the, uh, you know, wasn't coming to that decision to leave it all. So when he was playing, he's focusing on South Carolina. But for me, it's like, okay, well, where is good junior college baseball and the development down in Florida? You could play all year round. Didn't have to worry about, you know, uh, the conditions too bad. And that specific league had some great, uh, great players come out of it. And so it was like, okay, that could be a fit. So what schools down there could work? And actually there was, there was this two schools I was looking at was Indian river state college and then Chipola, which is on the Gulf coast. And both had rec or had had uh, reputations for sending guys to the draft or on to the next, you know, back into Division One. And uh, you know, it was really just the fit of the coaches at Indian River. Uh, they and, and again, I felt bad they had to deal with all my 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 uh, up and down emotions of a, of a kid that didn't know how to handle himself as far as like worrying about the draft and worrying about the next stage, but. Um, Mitch Markham was our head coach and he gave George and I the belief uh, in ourselves again. And that was something that I, I can't thank him enough for that. So that's really why we ended up there is that we were able to find yourself. And you talk about finding passion and love for the game. You go to junior college, you don't have all those amenities, you know, you're lucky if you have a cage in there on campus and you're able to do uh, what you want you know, and, and, and Indian river provided that. And then we had the love for the game. Um, but really down there, it brought the love back for us. And so that was, so I tell people like junior college to me really was a valuable tool. Um, even if it's a place that probably 95% of people haven't heard of. 
I, I always tell people that junior college baseball or small school baseball will tell a kid right away if they actually love baseball or mm-hmm. if they just like playing baseball because you've you've got to love it. Because, again, like you leave South Carolina, a school that has a big football game every Saturday and a bunch of people and great baseball facilities and things like that. And, and when you trade that in, you've got to you got to actually have that love for baseball with that. I wonder if, you know, you played, you know, you, again, like you said, you played high school in the city that your, your dad was pretty famous. in. then you go to a big school like South Carolina that has a media apparatus. You still carry that name. It's enough where there are like blogs written about you, you know, announcing your red shirt and things like that. Was there any like relief to maybe get a little farther out of some spotlight and just be able to focus on baseball? Like, was there still some scrutiny or did, did you, were you able to kind of unwind in that way? There was always, there's, there's always been scrutiny no matter what, but I definitely felt way more self-conscious at South Carolina. Like I, I felt like I failed and it was, and, and I was an embarrassment, uh, not just to me, but it was feeling like I was just letting so many people down because that's just how some things were worded is, and, you know, that's I, I had to get off social media when I was at South Carolina completely because I didn't want to be tempted to look up anything about myself and I didn't want anybody to reach out to me and talk about it, you know, because that was something that I just really struggled with. And again, it, it goes back to being confident in who you are. And at the time, I wasn't confident in, in who Ryan was. And I felt like my successes on the field were or failures were defining me as a person. And at that time, there's a lot of failure and I, and I, and I felt really down. So again, the Indian river, that was the other thing is no one really knows where that is. Sure. It got attention that I maybe went there, but no one knew who I was. No one knew what was going on. And I could pull out flat on, just be Ryan and, you know, that was that was a, a ton of fun. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I'm i sure if I'd say it's South Carolina, I mean, South Carolina, like, I just thought about the football games and all the things. Leaving there, I was like, man, am I going to regret this? Because there's just, it can just be a, a lot of fun. But uh, I, w- I wouldn't have changed it because, you know, like I said, I, I was able to, uh, you know, take a step back and kind of work on myself. Which I, which I really de- needed to do. And how would you compare? I'm always interested the the JUCO JUCO clubhouse culture versus like a four year four year. You have there's a you know a lot more hierarchy. You have the older guys. You're playing with guys who are grown men. Guys who are 22, 23 years old are either going to be in pro ball or going to be like working in the real mm-hmm. in the real world next year. Things like that. JUCO is this much more like smaller set, you know, younger guys, you're all smashed together. You're trying to win, but there's also that looming, like, Hey, you've got to figure out somewhere where to go after this. What about junior college in that environment clearly agreed with you? Well, I think it was just kind of the, the relaxed nature. Cause some guys that were going in, were just, they're getting there, just try to get better. And they didn't know what that next step would be. You know, some guys were like, am I going to go to a D one school? Maybe. I think when guys come into the the bigger D1 schools already you're 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 when you get there you get there because you are a talented player but you're also getting there because people are you're being recruited and you're being told how great you are constantly and I I think that that can mess with people's minds a little bit when you you know your stuff don't stink and you go in there 
And you have this different perception of like, oh, okay, I guess I made it. And I'm not saying that's what everyone does, but in junior college that they call it like a true grind because this is not where you're ending up in three years or after two years, you got to go somewhere else if you want to keep playing. In college there, unless you get drafted or they like release your scholarship, I mean, you're there. You're, you are, you are, you know where you're going to be at least for that time. So I always thought that that was really, was really fascinating. And also junior college, it's a little bit more about, you know, and I said college baseball, it's a lot about winning, you know, and, and building team uh, camaraderie. And, and, and you can build more of those relationships that way. If you know guys for four years, baseball, guys can come and go. I mean, I only stayed at Indian River for one year. But but I will say this, the guys that were there at Indian River JUCO were they, they loved to the play. They were easygoing. And I think that they just tried to enjoy the moment. And that was something I learned. And I tell people this. I wish I had not been thinking so far ahead to the draft that year because it made me miss out on those moments, you know, and, and I regret that. So because those guys in junior college are really there to continue to prove themselves. And to continue just to enjoy the game that they love. And like you said, junior college baseball, like you truly got to love it. Because if you don't, man, you you are going to burn out, you know, before even the season begins. Yeah. I mean, there's a the thing with small schools and junior colleges. There are guys who who leave school at semester every at, that fall semester every year because they're like this. This in for me. But with that, you get to that 2014 draft of that first year at Indian River and you have all the options. You could return to Indian River. You could move on to another four year school. You could get drafted. What made pro ball at that time the decision for you? I think I was I was still stuck. You know, I was, I was actually going to go to Wake Forest out of Juco. And, but I felt like I needed to get my journey going in some cases. And, and I was more ready than I was a year and a half, two years ago. So that that was kind of the thought process behind it. And again, looking back, you know, part of me still felt like I I wish I'd gone for a year uh, to Wake Forest, just because I still was having trouble mentally kind of Putting aside, I, you know, I, I, some of these websites, you know, and this again, where you get too caught up, you know, some of these websites were ranking me pretty high for the JUCO rankings going out of, uh, going into that season. And I put so much pressure and expectation on myself that I, not that I played bad, but I didn't play up to those, those levels of what people expected. And then I felt like I disappointed myself. But I, at that point, though, I just felt like, all right, you know what? This is something I want to do get into it, figure it out, and and continue to move on. And the Nationals also were a team that always followed me out of high school, always had a good relationship with them, and and I really loved the people. So it just kind of felt like also being with that organization, you know, I was really excited. So uh, really grateful for them. Didn't work out the way I wanted to at the end of the day, but I I love the people there. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write. 
so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well, with that, Pro Bowl, once you sign, becomes really a race against time. You only have so many big league years in your body. Like there at some point time, like in Moneyball, time the time comes for us all. Everyone has to retire. How many, how many injury setbacks did you have in that early run? So to give context, this is perfect. It was so I ended my so junior college that season, our last game was like April, you know, whatever, 30th or whatever it was. Whenever the last week of April, I signed and my first game wasn't until the end of June, I believe, or first week of July. So I hadn't played in two months, essentially. And then so you're in pro ball, I'm in, in the in the GCL at the time. I think it's renamed to the FCL. And I'm trying to figure out how to hit again. And I'm like, wow, this this is hard. And I'm struggling. And it's like a spring training all over again. And then two weeks into me playing, and I feel like I'm about to turn the corner. Uh, I, I'm rounding second base in the pouring down rain. I misstep, roll my ankle, and get a grade three tear. And then so I missed the rest of that year in 2014. Rehab it, don't get surgery on it, and then go into spring training the next year, take a secondary lead in spring training, shuffle, shuffle, coming down. And as my ankle was coming down, as the ball was crossing home plate, my ankle buckled and gave out again because the ligament never actually healed. Um, so I had to then get surgery, missed four months. And then I was just in rehab mode and I probably played not rehab, just playing games, like maybe one month. So through my first year and a half of pro ball, I really only had a handful of games in my back pocket. Um, and then 2016, my first full year, I still didn't trust the ankle and I uh, mentally was not in a good place. And then I stunk because I couldn't figure out how to, I, I didn't trust my body. I didn't trust, and then I couldn't trust myself. And uh, I just went down a rabbit hole. So there that happens. And then I come to the, the Orioles in 17. And that's when kind of things changed around for me. But for to your point, yeah, it is a time clock. They tell you down there, we're trying to move you up. And if you're not moving, that they are going to move on. And so when I had the injuries early, that was in the back of my mind of I'm losing my chance. Like it, I'm going to lose out on this opportunity. And that might have even put more pressure on myself. But um, so those injuries, and then I had a um, oblique injury in 19. But it, by at that time, I'd already figured out myself. So I had confidence that when the time came, I'd be able to figure it out, but they're not lying about it. It's a business. And if, if their assets are not moving in the direction that they believe they're going to replace you with somebody else. And that's just the reality of it. It's, it's not, it's not a um, mean spirited in that case. It's just, just the harsh reality of, of how the uh, sports industry works. You talked about that mental rabbit hole and pro ball can be a very lonely and isolating environment, especially compared to college. 
And, you know, one could say that you have, you know, you would have resources to talk to as far as, you know, how to handle life in professional baseball, how to, you know, how that life is going to be. But is there really, does most of that, that work, that finding self-belief, that learning how to be a professional, is there really any actual advice that someone could could impart that would change the game? Or is that all like a self-realization journey? Just kind of, I mean, just like adulthood is in, in a lot of ways. Like, is that work you had to had to discover on your own? It's a combination, but you definitely do have to discover it on your own. You can prepare for it, but until it clicks in your mind. And that's why when a lot of the high school players that come out and they go, you have all this talent, and they're going, why aren't guys moving quicker? It's because because of the maturity level. Can they understand how to handle themselves as it goes? And I saw that uh, with some young prospects as I was coming up, super talented. And their talent was giving them, you know, that you could see why they were moving, but there was a different part of them that they need to work on. Then you have other guys that are trying to make it and grind that um, needed to be locked in but if they weren't locked in enough, they were going to have less opportunities just because of how much was invested in them. So I would say at the younger age, I think the hardest thing that, you know, and this was my thing is that baseball was already a game of failure. And then I already had expectations that were on me. And then I put more expect or I had expectations because of the name. And then I added even my own expectations because of all of that. And I think that's in baseball if you can understand and not be threatened or embarrassed by failure, you're going to have more success. And I think, cause that that's the hardest thing is baseball. You're going to fail. The key to it is how quickly can you get back up on your feet and make an adjustment? And the guys that do that the quickest turn out to be some of the best players. And it's not because of the, they're the most talented, you know, I, I've seen some of the, I, I think one of my pet peeves is when people say, oh, you're in pro ball. Like, oh, it's, you know, the guys got to the big leagues. Oh, they're just, they're just uh, more talented. You see guys that good down the minors? And I shake my head and I'm like, dude, you don't get it. You, you don't. There are guys that are more talented that never get to the big leagues. Guys that can hit the ball the furthest I've ever seen throw as hard as anybody else has some of the nastiest stuff as a pitcher that you will come across but they didn't get to the big leagues because they couldn't put it all together. And part of that and the majority of that had to do with them mentally being able to make those adjustments and to have that self-belief and also that self-awareness of, I need to continue to get better. And so that's, that is something if, if I could give any advice to someone right now, and I tell people, I do some lessons when we're in the cage or we're working on stuff, coming from a guy that didn't do this enough. This is a safe space. You're going to fail. I don't care. You have to be okay that it's going to be a problem. My thing is, can you go and fix it when things go wrong? And if you can do that and bounce back, you are going to be way ahead of the game. You talk about expectations too. You had positional expectations as a first baseman. First base has to be, the bat has to carry you up. Like the mm -hmm. only one I, I can think, like I saw Evan White play first base and, and when he was in the minors and it was like seeing God, like it was incredible. But most first basemen, like it's got, it's got to be, it's got to be the bat. And when you're in that position, like it is already a game of failure, but you, 
hitting your way to the big leagues is difficult at any position at first base. It's crazy. Was there pressure on your part? And again, I go back to tinkering and sourcing information. Is there a, you know, a pressure on you? Like I have got to find this swing to create power, drive runs. Like I can't just, you know, I can't just be an average hitter. I have to, you know, how do you mentally grapple with that and, and the position that you're, you know, because of essentially your body type, you are stuck with, you're stuck in. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the thing of the longest time, but you know, for me, I was a big guy or still I'm a big guy, but I, when I would do stuff and it's usually in batting practice, hanging out, I go like, all right, I know I have a lot of power and then, but then it's not showing up in the game the way that I want it to. And I'm like, you know, what the hell, what, what, what do I need to do to get this done? And then occasionally, I think I remember in junior college, and that was the same thing. It's like, I only had like one home run that spring. And I go, I can hit balls probably further than, you know, besides it was like George and I, Skandarian, Iski and I, and, and BP, we were the two guys that could hit the ball the furthest. And we could just launch it. And I go, but why can't I do that consistently enough in the game? George had the same issue. George has some of the most power I've ever seen. Just easy power but he had a hard time of trying to put that in the game as well. And I remember I hit my one home run in Juco and I was at Yankees at the Yankees spring training complex. And I hit it a, literally a mile and I'm going, man, that is, that's amazing. But why, why can't I do this more often? And so that's where the expectation, the more and more you get into pro ball and you can't, and you're not doing that as much, you feel like then you try to press to do it more. Cause you're right. Corner positions, especially first base, they want you to bang. They want you to they want you to drive guys in. And if you're not, they're gonna find someone to put over there and and train them how to play first base or teach them how to play first base because that's where the offense needs to come. So it's definitely it's it's a true thing. No, no doubt it is. And and that was something that I grappled with uh yeah, quite frankly, my whole career. And how much day-to-day adjustment goes in it? Like how much, how often are you, you know, you're starting starting a new series and you're in the cage before game one of the series. And you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm trying this new thing. Like how, how often are different adjustments or tweaks or things being implemented versus I've, I've got to stay consistent with these mechanics or I'm going to fall apart. Yeah. I think again, it's when you try to figure out what works for you and I think when you try to change too much, then you lose set sight of what that was. So for me, where the light bulb kind of went off and it was an 18 where I didn't have any home runs, I think going into May or going into June. And I was so frustrated. And then one day in July, I think I only had like one home run on the year. And I t- did batting practice where I, I we tried something different down in Delmarva and Loe. And it kept the same concept, but I was working on trying to wait back a little bit longer and try to just, you know, it's just, but I kept my same mechanics with it. Whatever it was, that thing kind of clicked. I hit six or seven, six home runs, I think the rest of the way, finished with seven. And then when I got to Frederick in 19 to start off the year, first two weeks, I had more extra base hits than I had singles and I was feeling great. And then I got hurt for six weeks and all that happened. But, um, I came back, played well, got promoted to double A. And I was going, you know what? Like, I think I'm getting this. And then that's that uh, off season. I started to then really drive home. Okay. Now that I got the concept, let me continue to hammer this 
as much as possible because it is really hard to make that type of adjustment during the season because you're trying to stay afloat. You're trying to survive. And in the off season is really when you can digest it. So that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fine line for players to do that during season because, you know, they can say all they want, all the, all the staff members. And if they truly have an investment in you, but this thing is not every player knows that Kyle, you know what I mean? Not everyone knows unless you got paid a lot in the draft. If you're, if you were a 15th round pick like me and you don't know where they stand on you and they say, Oh no, we're going to work with you. And like, Hey, we're going to give you time in the back of your mind. You go, well, how much time? If I go out there and I struggle for this for a month, are you still good? Is that fine? If I struggle the rest of the year, do you chalk it up as that's, Hey, you're working on stuff. We still trust you. And and the reality is you really don't know because teams are going to make an evaluation. So guys can get very worried about that. You know, that that's just the reality of the business. Most big adjustments usually happen in the off season. And with, um, with that run with the Orioles, the Orioles, obviously all their affiliates are pretty close to home, pretty in like Orioles country. You know, as you come up and you're a little more at peace with, with who you are as a person, was there was there benefit to playing in front of you know Orioles fans who obviously grew up grew up seeing your dad? Like, did you feel supported? Did you feel scrutinized? Was it a mix of mix of both? Like, were there some cool moments? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I will say this: I was so worried about signing with the Orioles when the time came. There's a couple other teams I was talking to, um, and it just seemed that the Orioles were going to give me the best opportunity of the three. And I was like, Oh gosh, like this is going to be brutal, you know, but honestly they treat like they treated me so well. They made me feel very comfortable and not when they say they treated me so well, they treated me like Ryan. They didn't treat me like a Ripken. And that's something that people might be surprised with, but that was what I was worried about. And it was awesome that I could just be me. And, you know, it was cool going back to play, play in certain places but I will say everyone probably thinks I went to Aberdeen and it's got Ripken Stadium on there, which we don't own the stadium. The name's on it. You know, the team, my dad is affiliated with the team. But again, like no team control. The Orioles control the team, right? Just, you know, whatever. Um, I had some really I have family up there supported me. It was really great to be around them. But I still remember one night uh, I went and made a play to my right, two outs in the ninth. If I make the play and make a good throw, the pitcher is going to cover, um, game's over. But I went to my right, and then I came back, spun through it to first, and overthrew first uh, the pitcher covering, the tying run scored, and the go-ahead run scored. And there was like 3,000 people there maybe, but it's kind of dwindling out, and there's like a mist. And there's just this one fan reaming me. You're, you're, you're a disgrace to the family, to the name. You're, you're, you're wasting a roster spot. Uh, give it to someone who deserves it. And I'm like, ah, it's good to be home. You know, like, <laughs> um, but you sit there and you have those moments that you're like, damn, um, even in your home stadium and not saying Ripken stadium, just your home. Like I was just an iron bird. Um, but you know, but overall, though, uh, the home fans, wherever I went, were, were really supportive. And I tried my best for the ones that that took the time and, and effort to come watch and be around. 
and made me feel comfortable and special, I tried to give that back to them as much as I could. Well, and just the two, you mentioned like friends and family, a lot of minor leaguers, like if you were drafted by the giants, your friends and family probably are not ever coming to see you play. And for a lot of minor leaguers, that's a reality. What's the, is there like a comfort and it's kind of like, feels like, you know, high school where your family comes and sees you play like at Indian river. can't imagine that friends and family were in the stands that often. What, I mean, is, is that a helper? You know, I think the bigger, the biggest helper of it all was was whether not whether or not I had family and friends come to the game, which was always nice. It was honestly then when I had downtime that I could go see them after games, after on off days. And you know, when I was in Frederick, when I was in Frederick and Bowie in Aberdeen, I could live in Baltimore and commute to the stadiums. Yes, it'd be forty five to an hour each drive, but I made that each day because. I got to go home. I got to be around people. And I think that's the baseball life. As you just said, when people go away, you're away for eight months. And so a lot of people don't have the option to be in their hometown or to see their friends and family. And for me, that the biggest thing was when I needed a reset and I had an off day or I needed to just hang out with someone, I could do that. And, um, you know, that, that to me was so rare. Like that was, that to me was the coolest part because you can feel, you said isolated. It's a perfect way to describe it. You feel like when you go away, you're removed from the everyday world. And not that that's necessarily true, but you can't go see your friends and family. You can't go do any of these things. And you're literally living two separate lives from the ones that you left to go play and, and the ones that are back, you know, doing their own thing. So, um, I, I, that it was one of the co- cool moments. That I don't think a lot of guys can uh, can say that they were able to do. And what made the you know what was the kicker in the decision that made you decide to wind down the playing career, shift into media? Well, it was opportunity. You know, first and foremost, where you know, and, and, and it affects COVID affected a lot of players in so many ways, right? So nineteen felt like I had a lot of momentum. You know, I finished in Bowie two eighty whatever up there to, and I was feeling really good. I felt like I, and I told you, I was getting my swing and feeling like I got it. I am right there. COVID hits and you feel like you take a step back. You get older a year and 21, um, you know, my opportunities to play lessened. And then when I had the chance to play, granted, I, I was dealing with a uh, ailment uh, that I had to get surgery on in the off season, but I didn't play well when I had the opportunity. It didn't matter if if I didn't play for five days or three days, 10 days. You got to perform when you get the chance, and I, and I didn't. Um, and I didn't want to go and play elsewhere at that point. It's if I could go play affiliated ball again, I would have given it a chance. But the grind of it, you know, and there's so much more in life. And, and I just thought this would be the time for me to, to start start fresh. Now, was it easy? Hell no. <laughs> you know, I think everyone, you get afraid of that, of, of what the next step's going to be. And right now I'm still sitting here, I'm doing all these different things, but I'm still sitting here. I'm like, you know, what, what the hell am I going to do with my life? And, and that's okay. Um, that, that's all right. But that's, but do I miss playing every day? Like I said, and start this? Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing like getting out there and grinding with, with, uh, with the guys and um, it's a part of your life that's not many people can, can do. And at some point, regardless of 
how great you are, it comes to an end. You know, my dad was the rare one in 20 years, and he set a terrible example for me because it's so unrealistic. A lot of guys, whether you play into high school, it's an accomplishment. You get to play in college, it's an accomplishment. You get drafted, it's an accomplishment. But at the end of the day, it's going to end, and it's going to be over. So I was that, – that was me at the point of it being over, but I'm grateful then that I still had – Started playing T-ball when I was, you know, four or five, whatever it was. Tired of 28. You know, I had 24 years of baseball and, and memories uh, that I was grateful for. And that's more years than people who wish they could, uh, you know, got to experience. Yeah, I think I go back to that Moneyball scene. I think it's just a really just great great piece of writing just the the time comes for it doesn't matter if you are cal rickman jr or if you're i mean barry bonds and no one will sign you but like <laughs> everyone at some point ha you know ha has to uh has to hang it up so if you could go back and give yourself a pep talk on the day you signed with the nationals you know 20 year old 21 year old what would that pep talk look like everything is it's it's temporary and you really need to enjoy the moment and don't worry about what you need to do and how to get there. I think so far, so much, and even at that time, I was looking at, I need to get to the big leagues, and you're looking at how to get there without going through the ride. And actually, I still remember this. My hitting coach in Aberdeen in 17, Tim Raines Jr., uh, really, and that whole staff, we had Mark Hendrickson, um, pitching coach, Kevin Bradshaw was our manager and, and Ramon Sambo was our, was our uh, third base coach. Um, and there was such a great group of guys, but I remember one day I was having a conversation with, with, with rock and, and uh, he said, you know, look, I don't care about what's going on. He goes, but this isn't going to last forever. And uh, I know you feel terrible with your swing. Well, let's just say, give me, give me each at bat, give me a plan. If you can give me a plan each and every at bat, that's all I want you to do and enjoy this group um, as much as possible. That stuck with me. And I will say, I forgot to leave this part out, but when I got released and you have that moment that it's over, you look back at stuff and going, I really worried about all this crap. And I think that's the pep talk I would give. Stop caring about what could happen and just start thinking about how can I be right here right now? Because you're going to look back and you're going to have your own regrets. So you might as well enjoy each moment and not try to stress about things that are out of your control. Um, so that, that would be my pep talk. Um, and hopefully maybe things would have been different, but for everyone else that's out there, enjoy it enjoy enjoy the, the 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 fun times and the bad and guess what you play baseball long enough you are going to fail a ton get used to it but that's what makes the journey special i got a quick rapid fire for you then i'll let you get out all right let's do it favorite minor league ballpark oh man i i thought it was always cool going to brooklyn when i played there oh i gotta think about it. there was one in Oh, oh, um, Columbia, South Carolina was a great stadium and Charleston, South Carolina. 
but did not enjoy the weather. That was too damn hot. That that humidity, man. Uh, best pitcher you ever faced? Mm, that is a good question. Tristan McKenzie was very was was very tough. The there was one more in there when I sat there. Oh man, you try to go through all the guys uh, at the time that that came up there. And we who did we play a ton? We played the Yankees a ton. Yeah, I'll probably stay with McKenzie because I'm blanking on some other guys. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll Man, stick he's with nasty. Him. He He's gross. And that was the thing. He's like, he's so tall. He was so skinny. And I'm like, the ball just seems like you're just going to put it in the mitt by the time you let go of it. And, and I, I saw him in short season. And, and boy, did he, uh, at that moment, I go, that guy's going to be in the big leagues, no doubt. You have a guest come into Baltimore for a day. Where do you take them to breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Oh, man. So, into Baltimore, into the city, huh? Okay. Well, in the city. In the city. Well, I feel like if you have to – so, I, I, uh, I've become really good friends with, with people at the Iron Rooster. Kyle's the owner. So, we go – probably go and get these giant Pop-Tarts. They're massive. Have some brunch there. Have some good times. Probably take you home. Give give you eight or nine. Probably go around. I, I like going into. I was in Fell's Point in Canton. It's got the cobblestone street. You can even take the water taxi through the harbor. It, we're gonna go get crabs in the city. A place that I went to all the times was Captain James. You can just sit right on the water. I know a lot of people have their their uh, crab spots in Baltimore. That just was mine. I had a lot of memories and a lot of great crabs there. Um, then depends on what you want to do for dinner, but there's so many great neighborhoods. If it's around the sports seasons and times, I'll probably take you people over into uh to Federal Hill to get the thing. I, I think on game days in Baltimore with the Ravens, it's just a whole different world. Um, that's a great experience for so probably going to the Federal Hill to go over the bridge into into the stadium. And then for Orioles games, Pickles Pub, I'd never experienced it until I was done playing, but it's a bar right outside of Camden Yards, kind of staple. And then food, man, I could eat a ton of food. Where would I go for dinner? There's this one neighborhood. I won't say it's a re- like one specific restaurant, but there's a neighborhood right outside of, it's considered still Baltimore City. It's called Hamden. And it's kind of, it gives you kind of this hipster vibe, but you walk down that street, it's got all these great restaurants. Some you can think are, where are you taking me? And you walk out of going, that was delicious. Um, one of those places called, <laughs> the one place I've, I've never had more fun at one time, it's called Holy Free Holies. And I go, this place just has pinballs in there, pinball machines, and I can get like a $3 uh, drink for whatever. I thought that was great. And then there's another place called the Food Market that's right there. So that'd probably be my day. Uh, take you to those areas. Um, you know, I think Baltimore gets a bad rep for a lot of things, but you come hang with me, Kyle. We'll 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 be sure, or any guest, we'll be sure to have a good time. That's that's the exact kind of scouting report I needed. Um, do you have a copy of the most famous baseball card in your family's history? Oh, uh, without, and I, I'm I, I, <laughs> I know you're not referring to any of my fathers here. Um, definitely not. Definitely not your your father. I don't have that one as my personal keepsake. Do we have some of those? Um, yes, there is. It is somewhere that I have no idea. It's probably locked up in storage. 
Yeah, folks, if you if you know, you know. Uh, last one I've got for you. Everyone gets this. Do you have a nightmare bus ride story from the minor leagues or junior college? Because I've, I've heard some good junior college ones, too. Oh, I've got many nightmare ones. I got two. Well, one, and I actually explained this one on my recent episode. Driver Dan was his name. We were in uh, going to Connecticut. And actually, we're leaving Connecticut. And this whole story, actually, will all wrap together. It started off that we got to Connecticut to play the Detroit Tigers short season, and they didn't have enough rooms for us. So we had to, you have two beds on the road, so it'd just be you and a roommate. We had to put four in a room. We had to quadruple up into like these queen or like, I think they're even more twin beds. So two to a bed. Uh, to say that was an experience is an understatement. Uh, Again, you are 6'5". Yes, and, and I like my space, and I like my teammates, but not that close at that hour. It was like 4 in the morning, too, when we were trying to get this all sorted out. And then after that series, we were leaving Connecticut to go to Brooklyn, and the last game, like in the middle of the inning or middle of the game, Driver Dan had the bus, I think, parked too close to the field, shattered, foul ball shatters part of the window. And then we have to, like, duct tape it, put on, um, like, this plastic sheet, and then it starts pissing rain on the drive. And so then the water's coming in. Our coaches are, like, holding it down. I'm, of course, a couple rows back, and we're just – you got to laugh. You're like, this is just ridiculous. The other one that I just would mention was in Asheville, North Carolina, coming back. So Asheville was the Rockies, or still is, I forget. And um, we're driving back to Hagerstown, Maryland. And uh, it is the bus. AC is not working. It's hot as hot as hell. The uh, the bus has to pull over, and the, the driver goes outside it says, hey, the engine's overheated. I need to throw water on it. So he throws water on it. It's supposed to be a six-hour drive. I ended up taking almost nine hours to get there. But the next stop, we had to pull over again, engine overheated. He had to take – He's we got a, a – got, our coach got on the, uh, the intercom or whatever. He's like, hey, guys, can you pass your water bottles and jugs up? So we had to pass our water gallons and jugs and just start – dose or dousing the engine and i'm like this is just ridiculous it's 90 some degrees on this bus now we have no water we just got i think we just got our asses kicked i'm tired and then uh our gm i think in hagerstown had to meet us two hours out to then put a five gallon jug on the on the engine again and then we got home so that was um that that was one that i will never forget for so many those reasons. are some all timers yeah so oh, we have more. not had windows <laughs> shattered yet that is we'll check that one off the uh off the box but ryan ripkin that is all i've got for you thank you so much for joining from phenom of the farm of course and that's it for today's episode from phenom of the farm big thanks to ryan ripkin for joining if you enjoyed this episode you can go check out ryan's podcast off script with rip and make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe to baseballamerica.com and the BA podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. And for, for feed on to the farm, we'll catch you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.